Let me just eliminate all of the white noise for They're you. They're counting on you not understanding what this is all about. They want to create conflict. They want to create this chaos. They want you to be stupid. This is the Conservative Daily Podcast with Joe Waldman. Yeah, I'm a threat because I'm telling you what the Constitution says. And Max McGuire. The flak is the heaviest when the bomber is right above the target about to open the bomb bay doors. And now the Conservative Daily Podcast is on the air. Welcome back to another edition of the Conservative Daily Podcast. My name is Max McGuire. And my name is Joe. Ah, I was going to do it. Joe Oatman. I was going to add my little commentary in the middle of that, Max. You know, the fact that the uh, I was going to give, you know, Merrick Garland a little bit of credit for what I may or may not have been now labeled. Joe, domestic terrorist Oatman. Yeah, I was going to do that. But then I was like, yeah, I probably right. shouldn't do that. Oh, see, he admitted it. Let's go raid him. He admitted, he admitted it. I'll be in Texas. <laughs> well, without further ado, we do have a guest. Would you like to introduce the guest, Joe? I usually do it, but would you like to introduce the guest? Yeah, absolutely. So for those that you, I mean, I'm sure that uh, you have followed Eric Metaxas before, right? But Eric is, uh, he's a Christian author, speaker, conservative radio host. Um, he's written several books and he has a new book that's coming out that we're going to talk about today. Um, and frankly, he is, uh, he's just done amazing things for this country and he talks about common sense and, and getting back to sensibilities when I, I, maybe I shouldn't bring it up. We're not, we're not going to bring it up, but anyway, he's, he's a scholar. He's someone that is really, really smart and he's been able to do some great things and bringing people, I'll, I'll say red pilling people into an environment where, um, they can recognize what's happening in our country. So let's go ahead and bring in, uh, Eric Metaxas. Eric, you there? I am here. I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, grateful to talk about what I'm excited about, or at least one of the things I'm excited about, which is my new book. And it's an amazing book. Let's go ahead and start by putting that up there, because we're going to also put it in the comments. So you'll be able to see where you can pre-order this book. The name of the book is, Is Atheism Dead? And um, so uh, there, there it is. But Eric, tell us about the book. Tell us, tell us what's in the book. Tell us what the, your... I mean, a lot of people might know me from my book about Bonhoeffer, but I want to tell you, I've literally never, ever been as excited about any book I've written uh, in the way that I am about this book. This is, it, it's hard to even know how to begin. Let me put it this way. The reason the book is titled Is Atheism Dead? Uh, it's because in 1966, there was a very famous or infamous Time Magazine cover article that said, Is God Dead? The presumption being that the cognoscenti, the smart people had figured out that science has pushed God out of the picture. And the more that we learn from science and from other things, the more we know God is dead. There's no, there's no God. We're alone in the universe. Well, ironically, since about that time, tons of evidence has come in for the existence of God, for the veracity, the truth of the Bible, uh, for the bankruptcy of the atheist worldview. But because we kind of bought into this narrative around 1966, a lot of the evidence that came in after it was batted away. Uh, we live with, uh, you know, you both you guys know this, the, the cultural elites tend to be secular and they tend not to take seriously people of faith or faith. They, they, they just tend to bat it away as though, you know, maybe there's something to it, yeah. but it's not for me, but it certainly isn't borne out by what we know from science and so on and so forth. So, what I've discovered over the years, I have read many books that give tremendous evidence from science for God. And it's pretty astonishing stuff. But what's interesting is the way information travels. Nobody ever says like, whoa, we got the evidence. It's, it's kind of like it piles up like snow overnight. You wake up and, you know, you, there drifts against your doors. But it was just a flake at a time. And I really believe that since that cover article, Is God Dead? The evidence has quietly been piling up and piling up. And the same thing with archeology, span tremendous archeological finds, but it wasn't until the last few years that I met two people that gave me two more pieces of evidence that were so astonishing. I said, I've got to write a book. This is nuts. There is no question that atheism is no longer tenable. In other words, if you want to say I'm an agnostic, I got questions, that's great. 
But atheism, I think, uh, has to go into the, the dustbin of history based on what we know from science and to some extent what we know from archaeology. The science, it's pretty dramatic because, again, we live in a world that most people are, are either they're secular or they think, oh, well, the smart people are secular. Well, uh, I met a guy uh, named Dr. James Tour. He's a uh, nanoscientist at Rice University in Houston, probably the smartest top nanoscientist on planet Earth. If you look him up, you will laugh at how insane his credentials are. He's, it doesn't get more dramatically impressive than James Tour. He starts talking to me about something that I'll bet you guys haven't thought about that nobody ever thinks about. We've almost been trained not to ask this question. But you know how we, we all talk about maybe evolution or we argue about what happened. So there's life four billion years ago, it evolves, or maybe it doesn't evolve, or God gets involved, and we argue about that. But nobody asks the question anymore, hey, how did that first life emerge? Four billion years ago, you scientists say, four billion years ago, the simplest life emerged on planet Earth. You have no doubt about it. Okay, tell me how did that happen? Well, no one knows how it happened. In 1952, there was a, an experiment that uh, they put electricity through some prebiotic soup and got some amino acids and they said, hey, we just figured it out. We figured out how life emerged because look, we got amino acids. Now, if you don't follow the science, it makes no difference. The point is amino acids are light years away from life, but they kind of had this idea in 1952 when they did this, like, you know what, we're on our way. It's only a matter of time. Science is getting more and more advanced. We're gonna figure this out. So I remember in school, it was on the test, maybe in eighth grade, maybe in 11th grade, like this is how life came into being. They talk about the famous Miller-Urey experiment, 1952. It's kind of like that settled it for a lot of people. Yeah, the primordial but, soup, this, yeah. Right, right. But what this guy, James Tour says to me, and he, he doesn't say this, but I'm here to say like, no one on the planet knows more about the nano level of, of what molecules can and can't do and how you can make molecules. Okay. He says, in 70 years, since, since that 1952 experiment, seven decades, not only have they not moved the ball forward a millimeter, it has gone dramatically backwards. The more we have learned from science since that time, the more we now can conclude it is impossible to say how life conceivably came into being. And he is so sought off about this that he says, we need to stop funding. This is a joke. We have learned so much about this issue that we are now sure that we know nothing. We, we could have thought in 1950. We've gone full circle, like being in know. the middle of a forest. It's, it is, it's, it's so funny. And I thought to myself, nobody ever talks about this. This is some of the most dramatic evidence that we have no clue how life came on. I kind of think like, oh, science, they know all kinds. The more they know, the less they know about this. And that is true for a lot of science, that the more science learns, the more it looks dramatically like a god, an intelligence created everything. We couldn't have said this 50 years ago. When Time Magazine you know, put up that, is God dead? We didn't know what we know. Every year that has passed, every decade has passed, the information has piled up. The fine-tuned argument is another one I can go into. But in fact, Christopher, the famous atheist, he was once uh, in a rare moment of candor, he said, that's the one argument that gives us atheists pause, the fine-tuned argument that the more science discovers about the nature of the universe, the nature of the earth, the more blown away they are. They keep, you know, they keep finding things. They say, this, this is creepy. Like, how is it possible that it's so perfect? And we now know from science, if it was a slightly different, life wouldn't exist. The size of the earth, we, you know, we're watching Star Trek, watching this stuff, we think, Life could be on any kind of a planet. We have now discovered, for one thing, if the Earth were a slight bit bigger or a slight bit smaller, no life. What exactly? This is yes, what science. The Goldilocks, the Goldilocks principle. That if we were a That's little bit right. closer to the sun, a little bit further away, a little bit bigger, a little bit smaller, right. if anything was off by a fraction of a percent, it doesn't right. happen. I'll tell you, Eric, I've noticed this talking to atheists. They used to be so sure. And when you ask them about the primordial soup, which is basically just this idea that a bunch of abiotic compounds, things that have no life in them, can just be mushing around in a lake or in an in a ocean or whatever, and all of a sudden just life springs out of it. 
the atheists don't have a solution. You're right. And the last time I talked to an atheist about this, they said, oh, well, we now think that life came from another planet, which is entirely possible. I mean, it's entirely possible that some life came from No, 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 but it, it's kind of hilarious. It, it, it's they like use saying that, to somebody, I'm like, yeah. They I write about to this kind of like book, push, it, I, push it away so they don't have to explain right. it. Like, oh, it just came from somewhere but, but else. We it, don't have to explain it. literally like happened. saying, where was that sweater made? Uh, did it just emerge? And they say, well, I could tell you one thing. It was mailed to me by my aunt in Chicago. <laughs> Case closed. And you're like, that doesn't really solve the problem. Where was it made? Where did she get it from? And I write about this in the book that when people talk about, well, it emerged on another planet, it's like, okay, so what? Whether it did or didn't, that's not the question. The question is, how does life come into being by natural processes? Yeah. You haven't solved anything if you say it's from another planet. It's just irrelevant. It's like telling me the kind of shoes you wore when you brought it into my office. Like I'm not. I'm asking you where you got it from, not not if you took the elevator, not what when you were and you're kind of shit. But it's it's actually funny, and it has given me a confidence in my faith. I mean, I always had confidence, but it's so open and shut that it's dramatic. And so I want to say to people, this will encourage you. We all know we're living through tough times. We need encouragement. Uh, the evidence from science, and of course, I'm, I'm barely giving any right now, but in the book, I'm telling you, it is mind-blowing that the evidence has piled up and up and up, and virtually nobody knows about it. Um, it, is, it is so dramatic that people simply need to know the headline science is pointing to God. There's no way around it. It's astonishing. People need to know it. People need to know the science. And of course, when I write about it in this book, I'm taking more complex stuff and writing about it in such a way that anybody who's interested can, can see this. But it, it is nuts. It is absolutely nuts that almost everything about our universe looks perfectly designed. I like to talk about the fact that Jupiter Whoever thinks about Jupiter, right? If you, if you can see it in the night sky, it would be just the tiniest, tiniest pinprick of light. And what if somebody said to you, oh yeah, by the way, you see that? You know, you can't see it? Look, look, it's there. It's, you see it? Okay, you see it. If that weren't there, life wouldn't exist on Earth. And people would say, what are you talking about? Science now knows that because of the mass of Jupiter, which you would kind of think it's irrelevant, it's not. They say, if it weren't there, with its tremendous mass, it's huge. It, We'd have a different it wouldn't be able to do what it's doing every day. It's pulling away comets, asteroids, meteors that would be striking yeah. the Earth. And if you know anything about that, you know that life could not have emerged on Earth. We could not be living here if there were more meteors and whatever. And this is something that the more you look at it, you go, what a weird coincidence. What a weird coincidence that the Earth is just the right size. What a weird coincidence that we have a satellite called the moon that stabilizes our axis. And if that moon weren't there, no life. There's no way to have stability of seasons. Of what it, it goes on and on and on and on. The more you look into it, the more you just think like, and God the moon is, is also full of asteroid impacts. The moon is also full of asteroid impacts. <laughs> right. No, it's, kind, it's almost funny to me that wh why would God allow us to see this evidence now? In other words, it's only because of advanced science that we can see the evidence for God. So people had this narrative that science is pointing away from God. It's the opposite and it's dramatic. And I think when people acquaint themselves with this, they're gonna feel different about their faith or if they don't have faith, they're gonna be really challenged because I don't think you can be an intellectually fulfilled atheist, not today. 50 years ago, maybe not today. Well, and, and, you know, it's interesting. I, I've, I remain silent about what you've said, and I've, I've tried not to pipe in because I'm, I'm going to be one of the first people to read your book. I, I promise you that. But um, we, we talk about some of the other things that have come up in Harvard Business School, right? Or excuse me, Harvard um, uh, uh, Biology, the, their biology program. They're, they actually, in 2013, I don't know if you read this, I read it, and I chased down people within the program. They were starting to decipher the DNA. Did you read about this at all? Have you read about this? Tell me, because maybe it's not ringing a bell yet. So, so this is where they had basically broken down mathematically the DNA and then used that DNA to uncover a message that was then coded back to the Aramaic language, which was basically God's name in the DNA. Have you never heard about this? I cannot believe I have not heard about this. So, so this is from, like one of those 
this is from 2013 and it came out, everyone was hush hush. So I started doing um, some research on Charles Watson. Was he actually a scientist? Did he actually work at Harvard? Did he go through this stuff? And okay, and then you call up and you're having this conversation at Harvard and like, yes, that program exists, but we, we actually were told not to publish it. And by the way, his name wasn't Charles Watson. It got really weird for me. And this is way back in 2013. And so I kind of put a pin in it because I was always a believer. I always believed that I could see God's work in everything that we were. But it made me dig deeper into Aramaic's, uh, you know, Arabic, Aramaic language, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, and some of the other things that, that we're not privy to on a daily basis that's not in the Bible. And when you start talking about math, that's what I like. I like math. I like definitives. I like truth, right? And so the things that you're talking about, how to be an atheist, I'll constantly have conversations like, you know, how did, the, how, did it, how did it begin? And yeah, what Max just said about going back from, I was an atheist, well, now we now believe it came from another planet. Okay, so let's just trace that back to another planet. Then how did, yeah. how did life start there? And it, it's a it's, big it's, circular you know, argument. I really read about that in the book. I also write a lot about biblical archaeology because over the years, I mean, going back to around 1850, we've been discovering more and more and more and more evidence that the Bible is not a collection of folk tales, that the accuracy is astonishing. Yeah. Accuracy. And it keeps coming out. I remember 1990 and then 93, I was a new a believer and I was reading the New York Times. They discovered a, a stele, a steel that, that, that has the house of David on it. It was the first existence outside of the Bible of a mention of the monarchy of King David. A lot of people said, oh, it's mythical. It keeps coming out. The most dramatic, which is one of the reasons I wrote the book, I mentioned James Tour. Another guy is named Dr. Dr. Stephen Collins. I just had him on my radio program. Uh, and people can go to uh, my website, ericmetaxas.com, and they can, uh, if they sign up for my newsletter, I'm sending these videos out to people. But this guy, in 2000, I think it was six, uh, discovered biblical Sodom. The details are mind-bending, and then you got to ask your question: Why doesn't everyone know about this? I, I looked into it. It's not like it's you know apocryphal or there's big questions. There's no questions. There was an article in Nature, which is one of the premier scientific journals on the planet, two weeks ago, corroborating everything. Twenty-one scientists looked into this. I actually wrote an article for Newsweek, but there's a whole chapter in in my book is Atheism Dead, where I, I tell the whole story of how it was the scriptures in Genesis that led him to where Sodom would be. Because a lot of people had looked in the wrong places or said, oh, it's down here by the Dead Sea. He says, no, if you believe the Bible is the word of God, it's definitely north of the Red Sea on the Kikar Plain or on the Jordan River, probably on the Jordan side. If you believe the Bible, that's where you'd have to look. If it still exists, if you can still find the ruins, that's where it is. He finds the place to look, he excavates, he comes upon a layer of soot at the level of 1700 BC, exactly when Abraham lived, when all this stuff is wow. supposed to have happened. The layer of soot is unlike anything anyone has ever seen. No one knows what to make of it. All these scientists are looking at it because it can't be an earthquake, can't be a volcano, can't be, in other words, nothing makes sense. It's, it's, it's a five foot deep layer of soot that it practically, as far as the eye can see at that level and mixed into it is a, a it looks like a randomly churned, they call it a destruction matrix because it, it's not a normal way that anybody's ever seen destruction before. You've got like tiny bits of charred human bone and tiny bits of melted brick and melted pottery and, and melted roofing tile, but scattered in such a way that it didn't settle. It looks like it was churned like in a blender. They call it, they actually call it the Cuisinart effect. No one's ever seen like it. So, so scientists who are not Christians concluded the only explanation for this is an, a cosmic airburst event. In other words, uh, a meteor about the size of the one that hit Tunguska, Siberia in yeah. 1908, that flattened 80 million trees like in a second, right? Something so powerful, they said it's the equivalent of at least 1,000 Hiroshima bombs. That's one meteor about 180 feet in diameter. It comes in at 34,000 miles an hour, explodes about five miles over the surface of the earth and just like melts and, and destroys everything with a heat that is insane. This is what the scientists say. And so uh, the guy actually, Dr. Stephen Collins, found a piece of pottery. He's a ceramic typologist. He knew instantly this is from 1700 BC and he finds it in the soot. But when he flips it over, there's a kind of a glassy green glaze. 
And he says that technology doesn't exist until 7, 750 AD, 24th centuries in the future. How can that happen? The, the people who examined it said this was exposed to like, you know, supernatural heat, like yeah. 4,000 degrees Celsius for like 25 seconds. So they have gone into this. So there is no question. I'm just giving you the, 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 the top level yeah. details, but it is proved we have discovered biblical Sodom. It's in the book and the world needs to know that so much has been discovered. That's the more recent example, but so much has been discovered to corroborate the Bible that if you're an atheist, you should be seriously freaked out because this evidence is mounting up. Well, atheism requires a certain amount of faith. Nowadays, it requires more faith, than I think, sometimes than actual religion, because they're not, no they're going off of they're going off of a belief. They're going off of a belief in the scientists. So, like, just going back to that primordial soup experiment that they've been trying for 50, 60, 70 years, even if they no. get it to work, all that proves is that a creator was able to take a bunch of abiotic materials and create life. They haven't been able to prove. They won't be able to prove that. Oh, listen, they're so far from that. They are so far from that that you cannot imagine. In fact, we know enough now to say that it's not possible. In other words, we now know enough to say that naturalistically, it can't happen. I mean, you can you can always say, well, maybe, maybe. You could say a lot of things. You could say, well, okay, if I flip the coin a thousand times, could it come up heads a thousand times? You say, well, theoretically, yeah. you know, in, in quintillion years, maybe. But but actually no, actually no. Try they're it. Just hoping, they're just hoping. They're just hoping for their own creation narrative. They're hoping for their own creation narrative. Well, they that's they what, want to become the god. They they want they want their philosophies, their 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 path, their their, their radical ideals. They want that to become the god. They, they want to be that that to be thing. The people that actually concentrate on. I, I'm not sure it's about truth, Eric. I'm not sure it's about truth. And oh so, no, that's that's and, kind of my point. Is that the evidence is so overwhelming. That if you're really interested in the truth, there's no way you can say you're an atheist. But if you're interested simply in taking pot shots at believers and being nasty, I mean, I, the last third of the book, first part is science, second part is about archaeology, the third part is about atheists. And I get into the new atheism. They were so intellectually shallow, I was embarrassed for them. In other words, I thought to myself, I thought that I'm going to find some substance. There's no substance. They don't have a leg to stand on. And I call them out on it because their position is, it's not just, I think it's wrong. It's ridiculous. If you want to say you're an agnostic, you have questions. That's not where they come out. They come out saying, we know there's no God. It is intellectually preposterous. So you're right. Anybody interested in the truth at this point has to admit atheism is no longer intellectually untenable. If you want to say, oh, but I hate the Bible. I hate Christians. You can't be an atheist. You can be an agnostic but you cannot be an intellectually fulfilled, honest atheist. I don't believe that's possible. And I, I put the evidence in the book and I think it's going to, I think it's going to lead a lot of people who are sketchy about faith to understand, no, uh, I'm living in a time where science and everything else is pointing me to God. It, the, the narrative has changed. It's a, it's a sea change. It's a huge change from the secular narrative we've been living with for like a hundred years. Well, well, so, so is it laziness? Is it hubris? Why is it that you think when you talk to atheists, they're so sure about something, but they can't actually explain it? Are they just intellectual? I think lazy? a lot of atheists are, are, are really wounded. And I think they're speaking out of emotion. Maybe they've been hurt by something. Here's the thing. Somebody told them that atheism was intellectually satisfying. Somebody told them that faith is at odds with, with logic and with reason. I say this in the book. I mean, I go into this in depth. That is not only not true. I mean, this idea that there's a there's a breach between faith and science or, or faith and, and, and reason. That's not true. But that's been a, a, a lie that's been promulgated for decades and decades. I mean, even people like Einstein were afraid of sounding religious and coming up with something. So that's been in the in the drinking water in Western culture. But the the point that I make is that if you really look at it honestly, not only are faith and science compatible, but the only reason we have modern science is because of Christian faith. That sounds like just an assertion. I go into the details in the book. Almost every great scientist from before the scientific revolution until very recently were profound men of faith. So atheists today who've read Hitchens and stuff, they somebody told them that 
faith was incompatible with science. And I'm here to say, you don't have to believe what I believe, but don't believe that lie. That That is a an easy lie to refute. I deal with it in a couple of chapters at the end of the book. It's simply a lie, and you need to face the facts of history. You can't you can't say that anymore. So so I so I want to say this, um, and and I'm going to say this because I've gotten into many arguments about a lot of different issues. One of which is, and I'll talk about what happened in March of last year when we shut down our economy and went to this thing where, and and I don't want to get too political into the what's happening with. COVID, obviously I don't want to get blocked in certain areas from being able to push out the message about your book, but I believe that, that this stripping of God from our society and taking away fundamental belief and building a, uh, an educational uh, narrative that frankly is not educational at all, that you, you could probably explain in a 15-second TikTok video about God, about faith, is the same thing that we've been able to do about the COVID, the vaccine, um, the election. Um, if every time that I've had a conversation with someone that is far left, far, it doesn't matter who they are. I, I don't care who they are, if they're on extremes, if they're part of the 90% that I think are, that are, um, uh, you know, marginalized and everything that happens in this political spectrum. Every time I've had a conversation with them, I always ask them simple questions about things that are happening based on that narrative and they can't answer it. I always, I always ask him a question, okay, okay, tell me if the COVID vaccine is so effective, and these are my words, not yours, not putting any words in your mouth, um, but if it's so effective, then why are they hiding information? Why are they not being transparent in the information based on uh, the amount of people that are vaccine injured? Why are they shadowing or, or sheltering the pharmaceutical companies from um, having any sort of liability? Why are, they, why are they working so hard if the vaccine helps those that take it and, and puts other people vulnerable to, the, to not taking it that puts them in the hospital or has an adverse effect. Why are we working against the better interest of truth? And nobody can seem to answer it because I start combating it with information. Same thing can be said well, about- Well, you realize it's not about truth. You said it before. It's not about truth. It's yeah. about people, there are people that they don't want to talk about truth. They, 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 they have power, they want to increase their power. And this is true through history. Even people like Einstein, I talk about Einstein yeah. in the book. He was, you know, we think Einstein, he could say whatever he wants. Well, in 1911, he wasn't that famous. And he was afraid that his equations that point to the idea of an expanding universe, which implies that it had a beginning, the universe didn't exist forever, that was scary. So he wanted to hide what he had discovered. And I think that there are people all over the earth, it's always been this way, they're running scared. They wanna know what happens if I say this? What happens if I say that? They don't care what's true. We're supposed to care about what is true. I wrote a book about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He went to his death because he said, to live free is I'm gonna speak the truth, I'm gonna fight for what is right, and I'm gonna put my, my fate in God's hands because the God that I know defeated death, so I don't fear death. If we can't live free, um, so it really does tie into all of this that as you're saying, we've lived in a secular society and part of the reason is that there are people that are really threatened by the idea of God, the communist Chinese are threatened by God. Why? Because if people believe in God, they're not going to do what the Communist Party tells them to do. So we have to get rid of God. We have to wipe him out. And that secular narrative, as you know, has been in the West. And you know that politically and on all the stuff you're saying, I totally agree with you on this. Um, and I talk about it on my radio program all the time. But I will, I will say this. This book, in a way, it's totally apolitical because I kind of think like sometimes you need a little break and it, folks like you and me, we're going 24 seven on this stuff. Sometimes you need a break. And when you see how you say, Hey folks, in the middle of this nightmare, there's incredible news, evidence from archeology, span evidence from science, evidence from history, evidence from science, uh, from the history of science. It is all overwhelmingly pointing to the God of the Bible. We need to hear that at a time like this, that as things get dark, you know, the scripture says, uh, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of God will raise up a standard against them. I really believe what's in this book is a part of that, that God is right now giving us hope. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm obviously excited about it because sometimes we need good news. You know, we've been hanging on for a lot of stuff that we don't need to talk about right now, but I believe it will all end well. But in the middle of it, God sometimes gives us some encouragements. And I think that if you know God is real, it changes your conversations with people. Yeah. Uh, because you say, you know, you can believe whatever you want, but 
I know, and, and I'm not going to pretend like you've got a good point. You, you might have a reason for saying what you're saying, but the science is basically open and shut at this point. And I'm going to be honest with you and tell you, great scientists have seen that. Uh, you know, maybe you should see it too, or you should think about it. Well, the, th the crazy thing is you say that I know. I mean, belief is, is absent, obviously, the organized religions and the, and the different religious texts. Belief, faith is largely internal. It's something that that we all grapple with, right? We all study, and it's our faith. It's our it's our belief. Uh, what we've seen recently, though, is a push by largely atheists to declare what our faith actually is. I mean, just in recent right. weeks, they've they've declared that oh, there isn't a single organized religion in the United States that believes you should have an exemption for the vaccine. Wait, wait, well, that's wait not true. That's not true. Know, but but that's what they say. That's not true. That's what they that say. Is what they say. But and, it doesn't and they proclaim true. that it doesn't matter if you have a religious or ethical or moral objection to the different use of fetal cells in the development. That doesn't matter. You, they say you have no right because they called up this church, they called up that church, and they've just concluded it's not your belief, and you don't have the right to believe it. Um, so actually, that's the know, other terrifying part of it. So so, so wait wait before but before you, before you actually before you answer that, I, I want to say this right. Based on your book, right? Based on your book, you would have yeah. to conclude there is a God, but you would also have to, you, you wouldn't have to conclude that, but many people would have faith and say there is a God. Now, I've had experiences that would lead me to believe strongly that there is a God because I've had things that, like a piece of bread, things that are so concrete that have happened in my life that it only could have been God that made those things happen, right? But if you come to the conclusion that there is a divine being, then you also have to come to the conclusion based on the Bible, the biblical teachings of the Bible, that there also is a devil. And that some of the evil that we're dealing with today and how it's perverted all of our society comes back yeah. down to the fact that that's what we're fighting against. Like, even if you don't believe in God, if you believe that there's some divine figure, you also have to no, believe no, no, that no. there's that, an antagonist to it. I came to faith in 1988 because of belief in the devil. In other words, I said, if, if I come to think that there's real evil, then I'm going to go to God. The fact of the matter is, there is evil in the world. And I actually write about that in the book. The reason the cover of the book is the picture of a snake, you know, yeah, biting so. its tail, it's going to swallow itself, is that what I conclude at the end of the book is that unbridled atheism is not neutral. It is, in some ways, viscerally anti-God. It's anti-good. There's, there's something that I think we need to deal with when people talk about atheism. We're not just talking about sort of happy secularism in Sweden or something. We're talking about what is atheism? What's behind it? Um, and why are the new atheists that, that I was talking about earlier, why were they so nasty, so ad hominem in their attacks? There's really something behind it that can be very ugly. And I wanna tell people that if you look at the record of atheism, it is unbelievably bleak. And actually at the end of the book, I discovered that two of the greatest atheists who ever lived, two of the most famous atheistic voices in the 20th century, Jean-Paul Sartre and uh, Albert Camus, both of them who wrestled honestly with atheism, it wasn't like a game like with Hitchens and Dawkins, they both came to faith in God. Nobody knows that. It's in my book, I think for the first time, there's other stuff like that in the book that it's kind of going to blow people's minds. And it gets to the larger issue of what you were saying, the way information travels. You might know something is true, but can you get the truth out there so that people are aware of it? And that's what's happening right now, whether it's with the vaccine or whatever, that even if you know for sure something, can you get the message out? Will they talk about it on Fox News? Will they talk about it uh, in the New York Times? Will they no, be fair no. about it? Oh, did you have to bring up the New York Times? Talk about the New no. York Times? I think you're going to have one of the best-selling books out there that's ever been out there. But uh, I don't think New York Times is going to do you any justice. I don't think that they're going to be. Well, look, we know. This is kind of what I'm saying is it's gotten worse and worse and worse. And so it's why I'm a little bit less shameless. It's, it's, it's why I'm more uh, shameless in promoting the book these days because I was completely canceled from YouTube. So if people go to my website to sign up for a newsletter, ericmetaxas.com, they can get the videos. I interview all these interesting people, including I, I once interviewed Joe Oltman, but we can't talk about that right now. But I've interviewed so many amazing people and I want to bring those interviews to a wider audience. YouTube has shut me down. 
So I say to people on shows like this, please pre-order this book. You can get it really cheaply through my website if you look put, at the link. Put links. it up there. I, just say, I wanna say right now that the information in here is really threatening to some people. They, they don't want it out there because it rattles them. And I feel like I know it's gonna bless people. It's, it's, maybe you feel threatened by it, but it's good news. Um, but to get the message out there has become really tough. And if a book does not do well in the first week, which is why I always say, please pre-order it, you can get it 45% off at one of those links at my website. Uh, I think it's the Baker link. 45% off. I don't know how long that lasts, but I promise you uh, this is going to change some minds. There are people out there now who say, I don't believe in God. And what's that? Oh, yeah. I just told you. Yeah. And I'm telling you, this is going to rattle their atheism or their agnosticism. And I think it's going to bless people. But to get back to the previous point, trying to get information out is really tough. When you're when you're going against the narrative, you're swimming against the tide. Right now, we live in a secular culture. And for 50 years since the Time Magazine article asked, is God dead? People have said, oh, I guess so. I guess it is. I guess it is. This kind of information has had a hard time getting out there. I wrote this book specifically to put it all in one place. And I know it's going to blow some people's minds. It's going to make some people really angry, whatever. Uh, you know, I can't, I can't help that. It's, it's everything in there is true. I care about the truth. I don't care about just, you know, winning an argument. Well, when you look at atheism as a faith and you ask yourself, why are atheists so militant these days? Why are they so aggressive? Why are they so adamant that their truth is the truth and everyone else is, is mistaken? When you treat them like a faith, realize they are going through their little crusade period, right? That, that's the period of their religion. The, the, most other monotheistic faiths have gone through a phase um, where they have conquered other religions around them or, or they've gone to war over their faith. That's what their young faith is going through. It's their growing pains. So yeah, this is going to ruffle feathers, but also realize well, Mac, that there's a lot of people who are invested. But, but I write about this in, in one of the chapters near the end of the book. If you believe there's no God, okay, logically, and I don't mean this is my opinion, logically, there's no meaning in the universe. If there's no meaning in the universe, why do you care about anything? Why do you care to convince somebody that there's no God? And how do you, you tell me you're a good person? Why, why do you care about good? What is good? Yeah. What is evil? Only the, the, the intellectually honest, brave atheists, like I mentioned Jean-Paul Sartre, Camus, they were willing to look into the bit, the abyss of meaninglessness, and they said this is bleak and horrible. And but they think they thought it was true. Over time, they realized no, there's enough evidence that there's got to be something else. And they both, I tell the story of how both of them came to faith. That's a headline. I mean, nobody seems to know this. And I thought, I don't know how I get to put it in my book, but you know, you can look at the footnotes, you can look at the bibliography. I mean, I'm not making this stuff up. It is really dramatic that. Uh, People who look at this seriously, they come out the other side. It's people who just want to be right or want to make fun of somebody else, they can't really look at this clearly. And I think it's our job to help them to do that. You know, it's it's interesting that you talk about those people that have gone through this search for looking for to prove that atheism is the, the religion, right? That, that there is no God. Yet they come to the conclusion when they come out the other side that there has to be a God. There has to be a, a divine being. I'm going to call it God because I believe it's God, right? There, I believe there's just one God, one creator. But as, as you get further down the path of understanding that there is a being, understanding that there is a God, you also have to come to the conclusion that there is an innate evil in our society that has grown. And so you talk about the drug problem that we have, the homeless problem that we have, the, the you know, I'll, I'll just use this as an example, what happened in Chicago where three men shot into a home, three men shot back, one of the men was killed, and the DA in Chicago said, mutual combat, I'm not gonna charge anyone for the crime, right? These are innate evils that I think we have to, we have to identify that line up with what's happening in our society. There's a breakdown of stripping our society, stripping God from our society, and what happens when you get to that place where you, you wanna be right, you wanna be so right that you allow the devil to slip in and say, I don't exist, knowing that the devil does exist. I would actually, I would actually say the reason because I'm on the same page as you guys in terms of politics and the culture, totally right. I know that the only real hope is revival. Is people 
getting excited about the God who loves them and died for them. When that happens, all of these social ills begin to evaporate. And so I really think that for some people, maybe it's an intellectual issue. If you read this book, you're going to have problems not believing in God. And you're going to understand that the greatest minds in the scientific world were profound Christians. When you begin understanding this, you say, well, maybe, maybe if we have revival in this country, uh, and I believe it's coming, I really do believe it's coming. We don't have time to talk about that. It's going to change all the stuff that concerns us. And I think that we do have an enemy. He hates uh, the fact that uh, people are waking up. So we're in a battle. But you know what? Uh, if you're in the battle with God, you have nothing to fear. So I am ultimately, as I say, I am very, very hopeful. Well, Eric, I want to thank you for joining us. Um, can we put the book title up again, uh, the book picture up again so everyone can see it? Yeah, and, and let me just tell everyone where they have to go. They have to go to E-R-I-C, for those that are actually listening to this, by the way, on the audio podcast. It's ericmetaxas.com slash I-A-D. That's E-R-I-C-M-E-T-A-X-A-S.com forward slash I-A-D. And you can Actually, they don't, they don't have to go to that exactly. They can just go to ericmetaxas.com yeah. and they'll find it. Okay. Uh, and please sign up for my newsletter because I'm not kidding. I've been doing interviews on stuff that you guys talk about all the time. And it, I'm having trouble getting it out there because YouTube canceled me. Really encouraging, amazing stuff. We should all, uh, as we're in this battle, remember, uh, you know, God is on the side of truth and freedom. And so we should fight with, with some joy because we don't need to be on the right side of this. We could be just as screwed up as some of the people we're fighting. But by God's grace, we get to have the joy of fighting for truth. So it's kind of cool. So, Eric, where else can they find you? Obviously, we know what YouTube's doing to censor everyone. They're, they're being used and weaponized. Um, as, the, as I will say, they are the fascists. Um, that are, are, are part of the fascist group that is trying to basically silence you by using corporations rather than the government doing it. But where else can they find I, you? Are you on Telegram? Where, where else can they connect with you? I'm on, uh, well, we're, we're on Rumble. We're on, uh, we're on Gab. We're on Parler. We're on Getter. Uh, I'm still on Facebook uh, and uh, definitely Instagram. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much all over, and I still have a lot of my speeches and stuff are on YouTube, but my show has been wiped off, off of YouTube. So uh, we'll see what happens there. But I, I'm, look, I'm so grateful for what you guys do here. Thanks for having me on. We need to share the truth. What I have in this book is the truth, and you are not going to read this in the New York Times or in most of those kinds of places. And, and we should just be excited you know, to share this stuff. This is not... Uh, it. And I've written about it in a way that most people can can understand it because a lot of the books that I have read, I thought, no wonder nobody knows about this. It's in these obscure books and these science books and stuff. But uh, it's just too important for us not to know. We need to get the word out. Ultimately, they need to be teaching this stuff in schools because it is yeah. actual science. This is not my opinion. So so are you on a book tour at all? Are you going around the country and, and speaking at events? I'm going to be going that? all over the country, yes. I'm going to be uh, – where am I going to be? Um, I'm – I'm going to be in uh, Wichita, Kansas. I'm going to be all over uh, California. Uh, I'm going to be in uh, Colorado Springs. I'm going to be basically all over the country. And if you go to my website, erictaxis.com, it, it it's updated constantly of where I'm going to be. But I'm going to be absolutely all over talking about this uh, wherever they'll give me an opportunity. Mr. Producer, we have a event coming up that I was invited to speak at. I think it's November, first week or second week in November. Um, it's going to be about 3,500 people in northern Colorado. Um, I think it would be a perfect place. So I'm going, to, I'm going to start, and then I don't know if you're connected to Clay Clark. Are you connected to Clay Clark at all? I've, I've only had him on my program once, and, and I, everybody I know seems to, to know him. But uh, So, no, I'm not particularly connected to him, no. So, so there's, there's the Reawaken America tour that's happening down in San Antonio and down in Dallas. So I'm gonna, Clay is on the show next Monday, so I'll be lobbying. Uh, to, he, is a, he is a believer. He is an amazing man uh, of faith. He's a, he's a father, a husband, uh, probably one of the most courageous voices. By the way, he'll infect you. <laughs> he infects you oh, with no, I, I his enthusiasm. With you. When I had him on my partner, I was blo I was blown away. Yeah. I don't know what my schedule is, but if if you email me uh, anything, I will you know I will look into it. And I I really do 
I have a passion to get this out because I think it's going to change the culture. When people begin seeing like, hey, science is pointing to God. You can't, you can't hide behind science anymore. On the contrary, right. yeah. science is your enemy if you're an atheist. That's going to change some stuff. So I'm, you can tell I'm, I'm yeah. really hopeful. Well, Eric, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, again, everyone check out his book. Link will be in the description. Um, thanks again, Eric. Have a great rest of your day. God bless you guys. Thanks hey, for God what bless you do. You. Thank you. So Joe had to run real quick. Excellent interview with Eric Metaxas. Really, really interesting stuff. I haven't had a chance to read the book yet, but I really do want to. And uh, I'm hopeful that they'll send me over a free copy. Otherwise, I'll have to go buy it from the bookstore. So really, really interesting interview. And I want you to definitely support Eric's book if you can. The link is in the description. Please do support him and uh, and 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 go ahead and 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 buy that book. A couple of things are breaking news right now that I wanted to make sure that we covered. Mr. Producer, I sent over a video. This is actually pretty hilarious. Project Veritas found the Pfizer employee, the Pfizer employee who put out that email saying, "Don't talk about the fetal stem cells." about the fetal cells uh, being used in research. So <laughs> they found her. And my goodness, the minute that, that this woman hears, hi, I'm from Project Veritas, and I want to ask you a few questions, she books it. She absolutely books it. So I'm going to go ahead and play this. Let's go ahead and play this cut, Mr. Producer. It's pretty funny. Hey, Vanessa. Vanessa Gelman, I'm a reporter with Project Veritas. Vanessa Gelman who works in Washington, D.C., is Senior Director of Worldwide Research. From Vanessa Gilman. From the perspective of corporate affairs, we want to avoid having the information on the fetal cell lines floating out there. We believe that the risk of communicating this right now outweighs any potential benefit that we could see, particularly with general members of the public who may take this information and use it in ways we may not want it out there. Yes, why did you send emails telling uh, Pfizer employees not to report that you guys were using fetal cell lining, miss. What else are you hiding from the public? Stay. Miss, what else are you hiding from the public? The public needs to know. Well, uh, there you have it. We wanted to ask her a few questions. She broke out into a sprint. We really think that the public needs to know what about the fetal cell lining emails. And uh, we tried to get a comment. She ran. Sometimes they don't want to answer for the fraud that they're committing or the corruption that's going on. We try our best. And uh, the really only question now is who's next? Oh my goodness. So I'm watching that and she books it. She absolutely books it. And I'm, I like to go on TikTok with the kids. And, I, and all I can think about as she's running as fast as she can is she's a runner. She's a track star. And she's just running away, booking it as fast as she can. <laughs> and if you go, if you haven't followed my telegram, please do follow it. You, uh, at Max J. McGuire. If we go ahead and put up my screen. I just posted this. This is what it reminded me of. <laughs> Pfizer employees, when they hear someone shout out, I'm a reporter from Project Veritas, and I would like to ask you a question. And it's just a gif <laughs> of Forrest Gump just sprinting. <laughs> that might be the fastest that woman's ever run. I don't know. I don't know if she's a runner. I don't get the impression that she was a runner. But the sheer look of terror on her face. <laughs> like, oh, no, they got me. <laughs> out <laughs> I, don't know, I found that really really humorous that, I was watching that and it just made my day <laughs> but you know they're all on the lookout they're all on the lookout for, for Project Veritas employees so I think you can expect more of these kind of videos uh, I just can't get out of my head that she runs away it's pretty pretty funny so yeah, um, Joe had to run. He had to run to a uh, a flight. He has to he has to fly across the country. So that's why I'm on solo now. Um, but uh, yeah, so I hope you enjoyed the interview. We don't have a whole lot left to cover today, so uh, I guess we can end it a little bit early. But we do have to mention that this podcast is sponsored by Air Med Care Network. Air Med Care Network, the premier insurance company that will cover you and your family should any of you suffer a medical emergency and need to be airlifted to a hospital. We don't get to choose when a disaster strikes or when an emergency strikes. And we don't get to choose how we go to the hospital. Well, it can be very expensive if you, if you need to be airlifted. Upwards of 60 grand. And that was before Biden inflation. 
So don't put your family's financial future at risk. Sign up with Air Medicare Network and protect your entire household. It costs $85. That gives you coverage for your entire household. And it's less if you're a senior citizen. Also works out to be less if you buy three or five years at a time. And as a bonus, when you use the link in our description, airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash daily, and then you use promo code daily, you're going to get up to $50 back in the form of an e-gift card. It's free money. So again, go to airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash daily and use promo code daily to get up to $50 back. The Pfizer bit is interesting because obviously you have John Gruden, the head coach of the, uh, where is he at, the Raiders now? Um, he just got fired. They say he resigned. He got fired because they went into his emails and found emails about him calling Biden a pussy and and, and talking disparage, uh, talking down about gay players and things like that. Obviously things that aren't very nice. Um, but those are private emails. Interestingly enough, tomorrow is, I think, I believe the one year anniversary of Hunter did nothing wrong. That whole narrative. I believe that tomorrow is that one year anniversary, but just that Pfizer bit, that email is huge. That email from that woman saying, we don't want the public to know that we've been extensively using fetal cell tissue to, to produce these vaccines, to test the efficacy of these vaccines. It's disgusting. There are people who have put in for medical exemptions and who have lost the medical exemptions because their company has cited Pfizer's lies. So this that one email alone, I mean, the left loves to pick and choose the emails. Hillary's Clinton, Hillary Clinton's emails, not important. John Gruden's email, very important, right? Pfizer email, not important. Uh, Donald Trump Jr. emails or Ivanka emails, very important. They pick and choose. But this one email from Pfizer, and we saw that woman just booking it. She's a runner. She's a track star running away from just the sound of someone saying, I'm a reporter from Project Veritas. That one email should seed lawsuits all across this country. There should be a class action lawsuit. It should. It should. Because as we covered, there's a hospital network, I believe it was in Michigan, where 650 people applied for a religious exemption. Not one got it whole thing's a sham. Well, that's going to be it for this edition of the podcast. If you like the podcast, make sure you sign up for the email, sorry, the audio edition. You can do that by going to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, or Podbean. Also on Audible, so if you like to listen to things while you're cleaning the house or doing the dishes, you can listen to us on your um, Amazon device, your, whatever they're called, um, using Audible. Also, make sure that you tune in. We go live at 11 a.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday. And if you don't Remember, you need a little bit of a reminder. You can text the word freedom, F-R-E-E-D-O-M, to 89517. You'll get added to our text alert system, which will send out a text letting you know what we're talking about that day and where you can find it. Also, if you haven't already, please do go to join.conservative-daily.com and join our email newsletter system. Very, very important. That's how you're going to get the fax blast. That's how you're going to get other email notifications that we send out. That's going to be it for this edition of the podcast. Special thank you to Eric for stopping by. If you haven't already, make sure you pre-order his book. My name is Max McGuire. Remember, everyone, that the fight to take back our country isn't over yet, but the only way we win is if we all stand up and fight together.